Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome, folks, to the PKN Packaging News Podcast, brought to you today by Planet Protector Packaging. My name's Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Lindy Hewson, Managing Editor and Publisher of PKN Packaging News and the host of this show. Hello, Lindy. Please tell us about our topic and guest for this episode. Hi, Grant. It's great to be back here again talking about plastics. <laughs> Guess what? Um, now, we have talked a lot about plastics on the show, the problem of plastic waste, the virtues of recovering the raw material. And although we've seen many plans and policies come to the fore, which are which is a great thing, we do have to question, given the scale of the problem, um, whether we're on the right path for managing plastics. There's a lot of action happening. There's a lot of good action happening. But when I go down to the beach and when I'm on my paddleboard and I still see all the plastic floating around in the ocean, I'm just, I do feel a degree of despair, to be honest. Now, to weigh in on the subject and joining us today is Dr. Ross Hedefin. He is the founder of Biogon. Now, Biogon is an Australian eco-conscious company that is dedicated to designing and delivering cost-effective landfill biodegradable everyday plastic products. And we're going to hear more about what products those are a bit later. But what's also interesting about Ross is that he has been instrumental in setting up Beach Patrol, which is a volunteer group of people, 4,500 people at this point to be precise, um, in 50 different postcodes that are dedicating their time to cleaning up the beaches, which is a fantastic thing. So welcome, Ross, to our podcast. And let's start by you telling us a bit about yourself and how you came to found the company Biogon. Thank you, Lindy, and thank you for welcoming me to the show. Yes, yeah, so the path to founding Biogon is a, l- a little bit of a long one. Um, we used to own another company in which we sold in 2008. And during that company, we were supplying groundwater testing products. And a lot of that is used single-use plastic products because they can't afford to cross-contaminate from one site to another. So they would use the plastic once, throw it away, get a, get a new one out of a plastic bag and use that. And at the end, I was thinking, are we really winning? We're cleaning up the groundwater, but we're making this large plastic pile. And um, are we just robbing Peter to pay Paul's sort of situation? So when we sold that company, we went out of town for a couple of years to do some volunteering in Tanzania, um, putting in water wells. And over there, you could see that plastic pollution was just a huge problem. They had no infrastructure, no way to deal with it. And so plastic water bottles were just lying on the ground everywhere. And plastic bags were hanging on trees. And we came back thinking, this is really, really bad and something, something's got to be done. So we joined a little group called Beach Patrol and we're picking up plastic off the beach. And then we decided we need to make this a lot bigger, a lot bigger than just one group. And so over the last 10 years, we've expanded it to cover 50 different postcodes around Port Phillip Bay in the suburbs of Melbourne. And um. So each group is going out there once a month, picking up plastic off the streets and off off the beaches and trying to raise awareness within their local community about the problem of plastic and the single-use plastic in particular and trying to make people conscious of the use of it and can they change their habits and such. So with all that in the background, we thought, why don't we start another company similar to before, but this time focus on any plastic item that's used will make it a landfill, but landfill biodegradable plastic. And so when people throw it away, it has a very limited life and it will not be left there as a legacy product like conventional plastic is now. Well, those those are all good um, initiatives, Ross. And what I wanted to talk about today is if we set the context here, the federal government, as you know, is backing the 2025 national packaging targets that 
have got the broad goals to make all plastic recyclable or compostable by 2025. Now, when we spoke the other day, um, you explained to me that you believe there are many issues with this. And to some extent, I certainly agree with you. This plan could lead to more problems by 2030. Now, can you explain to our audience what your thinking is behind this? Sure. And I'll say up front, it is very good to see the federal and the state governments taking action on plastic finally. It's been many, many years where not much has happened. So having somebody actually put something pen to pen to paper is a really good first move. They talk about recycling and or compostable plastic by 2025, which is an optional program anyway. So we know we won't be able to get there in three years, but it's a start. But just if we look at compostables first, compostable plastic is a linear economy. You make it, you use it, and you throw it away. We have to dispose of compostable plastic somewhere. They, they can't be recycled. The, the plastic molecule is not a molecule that can be recycled. So it's not pushing us to a circular economy at all. In fact, recycling and compostable are like pol- polar opposites. Recycling is we want it back to do something with it. And compostable is we don't want to ever see it again. We want to dispose of it and have it have it biodegrade away. So very two different philosophies in the same statement, which is a bit unusual. And then when we talk about compostables, we really need to talk about commercial compostable and home compostable plastics. They're two quite different plastics. Commercial compostable plastic is all made from plants, which is very nice. And a lot of people like that as- aspect of it. But it has a very big disposal problem. Um, it needs to go to a commercial compost facility, which is maintained at 60 degrees C, aerated a lot and given a lot of moisture. And if it doesn't have those conditions, the plastic will not be able to biodegrade and it'll sit there like a normal plastic. So are there many of those types of facilities around, Ross? Look, I don't know the exact number. I know in Melbourne there's a couple of companies using it and they've got to go they've got to drive about two hours away to find find such a facility. So very difficult. And to complicate it even more at the consumer level, the um the recycling number on the bottom is just number seven. And number seven means other plastic, send it to landfill. So the chances of a consumer having a compostable cup and then keeping it in their cupboard till they find a way to take it to a compost facility is almost zero. It's going to go to rubbish bins, it's going to go to landfill, it's too cold, there's no oxygen, it's not going to, it's not going to biodegrade away. So what about home compostable then? So home compostable is a very interesting compostable product. It's made with a quite a large contribution of, a, of an actual fossil fuel additive. And what this does, it allows the home compostable product to biodegrade in colder climates, like in a home compostable bin or even in a land, landfill. It'll biodegrade quite happily. We've done some tests at work and um, we showed that even after 45 days, a significant part of a home compostable plastic will, will have biodegraded away. So home compostable plastic is kind of the, the new kid on the block now. It's, it's all very popular. A lot of people are jumping on the bandwagon and say, I want this, I want this. But we have to realize it's still not a circular economy at all. And another disadvantage with um, compostable plastics is that when you throw them away, all the internal or embodied energy within the product just goes into heat in the compost pile and it's all lost. And the compost pile emits CO2 as, as the gaseous by, byproduct. So we're losing all that energy that was putting into making the product. So actually, when you step back a bit, all that energy is just going into um, contributing to climate change. So um, the point, though, is that consumers are looking for 
they like the look or the, the idea of compostable. So what would you be saying then um, about compostable versus home compostable as an option? What is, which is the better? I'm hearing you say it's the home compostable option. Yeah, by far, home compostable is very easy for the consumers to deal with. They can dispose of it how they like. They can put it in, in their recycle, sorry, not the recycle, in their home compost bin. Only a small fraction of houses have, have home, home compost bins. Many people living in apartments, they don't have that option. They can just put it in their, in their rubbish bin. The council will take it to a landfill and it'll, it will biodegrade away within six, six or 12 months quite happily. And so there'll be no legacy plastic sitting around like, like we have now with conventional plastic. So that's why home compostable is appealing to the consumer in many, many ways. But on a grand scale, it still has quite a few significant issues that we we need to step back and look at. So with the home compostable, that means that if you don't have the compost, it can go to landfill, happily degrade away in there. But does it degrade away to nothing or does it go down to like a microplastic particle like we've been hearing about that you're finding in animals and so on and, and fish particularly? Um, or does it just completely go back to nature? Yeah, so that's a good question to bring up, Grant. Degradation versus biodegradation. Degradation is consider a plastic molecule as a very long carbon carbon hydrogen chain. So a degradable plastic is where that chain is broken up into smaller and smaller pieces. Within each piece, the plastic still has the same molecular structure. It's just a short piece of plastic. That's what the microplastics are. It's nothing to do with biodegradation at all. It's actually a chemical process that breaks the plastic down into these shorter and shorter chains. Biodegradation, on the other hand, is the, the microbes are actually lifting atoms off the molecule, breaking down the molecule so it's no longer a plastic. And as they break down the molecule, the energy and the bond that's released is what the food for the, the microbes is. So they actually destroy the plastic down to where it's into its con, um, ele- elemental constituents. And there's two, there's two byproducts, a gaseous byproduct and a sludge. If it's aerobic biodegradation, it, uh, carbon and the plastic is transformed into carbon dioxide. If it's anaerobic, it's transformed into methane, CH4, and the the sludge that's left is a biosludge or hummus, which is one of the the best plant fertilizers around. Sounds appetizing, not. (laughs) (laughs) So... um I'm going to bring us back now full circle to the the original um, where, where you started out and we were saying that the government's plan or the or the national packaging targets 2025 are looking at moving things to being either recyclable or compostable. So we've dealt with the compostable aspect of it and we've seen the kind of the weaknesses in that um, system there. What about the recycling? Yes, recycling that's a very interesting topic. So the first thing to understand is, as you said at the beginning, there's just too much plastic recycled. We physically cannot handle the volumes of plastic that we're spitting out. You know, even in Australia, it's three and a half million tonnes of plastic we use a year. We just can't recycle that much plastic. And then you've got to look at, there's a big difference between recyclable and recycled. Just because something means it can be recycled, the chances of it being recycled in Australia is only 10, 10% or maybe 15%. We just can't do it. You know, the consumers are going to take all their soft plastic. Most of them are just going to put it in a rubbish bin. A small percentage of them are conscious ones are going to take it to a red, red cycle. But most consumers don't know what to do with the plastic. And especially if you're in a uh, away-from-home environment, you're getting fast food on the go. It's all going to go in a rubbish bin on the side of the street. And then you look at what the mix of the plastic is going to be. You know, we can make these beautiful, multi-layered, pretty-looking wrappers designed for waterproofness, strength, airtight, you name it. But 
how are we going to recycle a plastic that's made of five five layers of five different plastic? It's just going to be so expensive to even take those wrappers apart, which costs negligible cents to make. But to take them apart to recycle them is just beyond comprehension, and it's going to take ten or twenty years to try and f- figure this out. You know, if you take it to a recycle plant. All the sorting's got to be done, and Australian labour rates are so expensive to sort stuff versus the cost of importing new single-stream plastic, which is the problem we, we have now, is that it's much more expensive to re- recycle than it is to buy and buy new plastic. So I just want to clarify at this point, though, I think there, there are programs that are now currently being worked on to allow for, for in, in the case of soft plastic, certainly, that they could potentially in a couple of years, I don't know how long it's going to take, have curbside collection, which will certainly assist. So that's one way of collecting the soft plastics. As you say, um, if there's multi-laminate structures, it's a problem. If it's not a monomer, then that could be a problem, but then they're going to be finding ways to sort that plastic, hopefully. Um, it's all going to take a long time, but we've seen in recent exa- the recent example of the KitKat wrapper, which is quite exciting where there's a a plan for a whole infrastructure to collect, recycle, take the plastic right down to its original molecule and then recreate that plastic. Um, With the others, on the other side of it, with bottles and uh, so more rigid plastics, we've got a a stream of collection that's going and we're having big companies like Coca-Cola using our pet. We've got companies investing in technology to create um, our pet. Is that not good news? Look, it is good news, and it sounds really good, and I applaud everybody who's making the efforts to get, to go down those streets. Um, we just need to look at what this is going to cost. You know, when we get a plastic bag, we get a blue plastic bag, and we get a red one back, and they've all got to be sorted. We can't just put them all in a hopper and melt it down and say, well, we've got new plastic to start with. There's, there's other additives in there to make the plastic soft, to make it strong, and some of those are toxic. And so the separation is going to be – extremely, extremely expensive. And I don't think we've even talked about addressing that problem yet. Um, the KitKat sample was a, was a very good example showing it can be done, which is exciting. Um, can they scale that up to you know, hundreds of tons per year? It would be interesting to see. And there's no doubt they will do over time. It's just, is it going to be within 10 years or 20 years? You know, And it's going to depend on um, the willingness of the companies to in, invest in this. Um, government's bringing in le- any legislation to encourage it. Because right now, the um, historically, uh, our plastics companies have been on a, the cost of a product and the cost of market it has been based, that's been affecting their selling prices, being no cost of disposal built into a product. And so we've got to change that mindset. You know, it's going to put the cost of products up, but we're not paying the true cost of a product now. And as we start to reel that around, the, um, I think we'll, build into the product the cost of thinking about how to dispose of it, which is really where we need to be going. You're listening to the PKN Podcast by Yaffa Media. We'll be right back after this. Finally, there's an alternative to polystyrene that won't cost the earth. Planet Protector Packaging has developed a range of eco-friendly, sustainable solutions that are commercially viable and cost-effective for your business. Our industry-specific Woolpack range has been independently tested and proven to outperform alternative cold-chain packaging. Here's the kicker. Our solution can significantly reduce your overall packaging and transportation footprint, and it doesn't cost the planet. To find out more, head to planetprotectorpackaging.com. 
And now let's get back to the discussion on the PKN podcast. So what about recycling versus reuse? Yeah, um, those two often get confused. Um, Recycling is what we would like to call a a circular economy where a product gets made, it gets used, it gets brought back, either shredded down or or melted back to an oil and then made into a new product. In theory, we can keep on doing that like we can with an aluminium can. We can recycle that aluminium can millions of times and without compromising its integrity at all. Plastics, on the other hand, um, they have a very limited life. So a lot of them get used once again in another product, and then that product is pretty much the end of the life of the plastic. So that's really a reuse. It's not so much a recycle because there was no intent to have the plastic recycled again and again. Um, Some examples of that are um, a lot of mixed plastic is brought together, put in a hopper and melted down to make garden furniture, and then it's generally a dark colour because it's all a mix of the colours and they put a carbon black into it or a dark colour dye to make it all look homo homogeneous. It's a, good, it's a very good reuse of plastic, don't get me wrong, but it's not recycling of plastic at all. And another couple of examples that um, have been touted by the various governments has been exciting circular economy is um, putting plastic into roads or putting plastic into concrete to make car parks. And to me, that's just reuse it because that will never, ever be used again. They'll never get that out of that road. And so that's just a one-time use. It's, it's what I call a, a pigtail economy rather than a circular economy. The plastic comes in, it just goes around once more, and then it's out out for disposal. So if I think of the garden bench, the park benches that are out there now, I mean, what kind of lifespan do they have? And do they have any, is there any danger of degradation of that plastic? Look, they they do have a very good long long life. They are they don't corrode like or rot like a wood a wood will or a plastic a steel one would. Um, you'd have to be thinking fifteen to twenty years. The surface does get oxidised, and you can see it breaking down over over time. Not breaking down the microplastics, but the surface becomes more and more pitted. It's not the smooth surface it once it once was. But if you cut into it a few millimeters, it's probably just like it was back when it was made. So, so there is a long life. But if we want to talk about recycling and a circular economy you know we're not on that road mm. so that is you, you you're reiterating that is a case of reusing plastic and when the park bench is broken it's got to go somewhere and that's going to probably be landfill because it can't are you telling me it can't be re that can't be remade into another park bench I think I think that's correct. I wouldn't um, want to say 100 percent on that, but I think if it's been out there a long time, it would be oxidised quite bad, and um, I'd be surprised if it could be remade into a park bench. Okay, so um, without losing our train here, so we're saying that a circular economy works really well for metal products, where up there might be potentially based, as you I think you might have explained to me, on an atomic structure where the atoms don't care which other atom they bond to. But plastic is a molecular structure, is that correct? Yeah, so these plastics are these long polymer chains and um, so you can't constantly melt them and remix them up like you can with a metal because you just you destroy the polymer over a while and even the best plastic can only be recycled two or three times because mechanical recycling I'm talking about here. Yes. By sh- shredding or grinding it down. So we're damaging the molecule all the time and after two or three uses, the, the the integrity of the molecule is so compromised that you wouldn't use it to make a new a new bottle or a new va- vase or a new light switch. You know, it has to go down cycle. Then after two or three times, it pretty much has to be disposed. So 
when you look at recycling from that point of view, all we're doing is delaying the ine- inevitable. You know, we're holding off. Instead of throwing away plastic away today, we might throw it away in, in two, two or three years' time. So we're still just going to be accumulating these mounds and mounds of plastic that we're going to have no solution for. Yes, gosh, I'm I'm not feeling um, optimistic at this point. So we do need to look at other options. <laughs> so can you give me some other options, please, <laughs> please, Ross? Uh, yeah, there's a f- there's a few other options, and one of, one of them is why we started our company. But pyrolysis is a um, an interesting process that Richard Smith talked about just recently, where the oil the plastic is converted back to an oil. So once you once you back to an oil, then you can start to make a new plastic with the same original properties. As, as you originally had, it's not a, it's not a damaged molecule. The issues with pyrolysis is, as we talked about before, you've, you've got to collect the plastic from all the consumers. You've got to get it back. You've got to transport it back to a plant. These plants are very energy intensive, contributing to global warming again. You've got issues with all the different color plastics, the additives in the plastics, and it's just going to be the almost a difficult process to get a homogeneous stream out that we can make a nice, clean, clear plastic bag or something out like like that again. So, a lot of issues, um, a lot of time is going to be spent on this, I think. But um, I wouldn't expect to see anything in the rest of my working career. Put it that way. So, um, while these good works are being investigated, explored, experimented with, what can we do in the meantime? Yeah, thank you, Lindy. So that's why I looked at starting Biogon. Um, within Biogon, what we do is we take a plastic, like like say we want to make a plastic bag, we put a small amount of a, a food additive into, into the plastic and it doesn't affect the plastic molecule at all. It sits there inert just along alongside the plastic molecule. So the plastic bag would behave just like a normal plastic bag. It has no shelf life. Like any other bag, it'll sit there completely inert, operating just like a bag. Same properties as the bag, waterproofness and strength and all that such. But the difference between a biogon bag and a conventional bag is that when we throw it away and it goes to a landfill, the natural microbes in that landfill see the food source and they start eating it. And in that process, they secrete enzymes, which cleave the atoms off the top of the plastic and the microbes can eat those too. And over time, the microbes will eat their way completely through the plastic bag, breaking it down as its constituents, like we said before, a a biomass and a biogas. So that's what I think is a good interim solution for all plastics for the next 10 or 15 years. We can make all our plastics over time go away instead of sitting here in 300 years time 500 years time digging up plastic waste it'll all be gone converted back can you clarify for me what that time frame is then of, of your product going into landfill how long does it take to do that biodegrading yes it's not fast like um, like you would think an apple core biodegrading it's about 20 times faster than a conventional uh, bag would, would biodegrade. So say if the bag took 100, 100 years to biodegrade normally, then ours would biodegrade in five years. Or if it took 300 years, then we'd be 15 years. And biodegradation sounds good as a way to get, to get rid of the plastic problem. But if you look at it from an energy point of view, what we're doing is recycling energy. If you step away from recycling of plastic and look at recycling of energy, all plastic is is really a solid form of, form of energy. So we, we make a plastic product, we use it, and then we dispose of it. If we can get it to biodegrade away within 20, 30 years, that's the life of a, la- a landfill. So a landfill can capture all that gas coming off and use it to make power. And if we're making power from landfill gas, that means we're displacing power from coal. So all those CO2 emissions that would be emitted are now halted. And so from a point of view of 
we can make, use, and re- recover the the energy. It's, that seems to be a far far better way to go than looking at the problem of plastic. How we're going to recycle it? How we're going to shred it? How we're going to sort it? We don't have to train the the, um, the consumers. They dispose of their plastic in the normal way. We don't need any new infrastructure to collect it, sort it, take it any, anywhere different. And for industry, they don't have to do anything different other than add in our food additive to the, the plastic in a very a very small amount. So that the production cost is minimal, and we can keep on going on our society as we are while all this other high tech research is going on in the background. But all the plastics made today by um, bygone will be gone and that energy recovered over the next 20 or 30 years. So um, are you proposing this for mainly soft plastics? Yes, we can do that with any plastics. Uh, we, can, we can make them all landfill biodegradable. Soft plastics are particularly good because they're so thin, so they get biodegraded away fast as compared to a solid block of plastic. Multi-layered plastics, we can make them all biodegradable as well. So it solves a lot of issues for the next 10 or 15 years until we, you know, we've got technology to really manage our plastic waste problem. We're just coming to the end of this discussion now, Ross. What would be your final message to the listeners about a way forward? I think the way forward is to encourage people to use as less single-use packaging as they can. Refuse is better than recycling, for, for sure. It solves a lot of problems. Plastic in the ocean is a large problem, and it's going to be a larger and la- larger and larger problem for many, many years yet. So if we can get rid of single-use plastic, that would cut the plastic going in the ocean by half, which is a substantial amount. Um, a lot of industries like the fast food industry have already stepped away from plastic in their, in their fast food. They're now using paper straws and paper cups and cardboard boxes and things like that. So we are seeing some good shifts, but you know we just need to keep on focus on what plastic is and do we really need to use these plastic items at the amount they are being used. There's some critical functions that plastic serves and it's very good at doing and we need to keep doing that. So we need to keep this high-level high research in the background, how to come up with a solution for that. But um, in, the, in the meantime, stop using it. If you have to use it, go find a biodegradable version of, of that product and let the energy be recovered. And one other thing that I wanted to say about um, a plastic made from by Biogon is that it's fully re- mainstream recyclable because we have a food additive we put in with the plastic. It sits there completely inert alongside the plastic molecule. So the plastic still has all its original properties of strength, colour, uh, waterproofness and such. We don't affect that at all. It's only when the bag is disposed of that the changes come into effect. So if the bag was to be recycled, it can be recycled quite happily in main, mainstream along with any, any other plastic. It doesn't compromise anything. It won't affect the new plastic product at all. Um, in the US, where this technology was invented, it's widely uh, recycled over there. And we've got a number of clients here that are recycling our, our bags in various outlets over here. Well, thanks, Ross. You've really <laughs> enlightened us on um, some confusing topics and buzzwords that are out there at the moment. Um, and you've given us a smidgen of hope <laughs> about the big plastic mountain that we're chipping away at with a toothpick, <laughs> it would seem. Thank you very much for sharing your point of view. I think it's very important for us at PKN and in the wider packaging community to continue having these types of conversations because we have to get the word out there. We have to come up with new ideas. And I think um, we're We're very encouraged by some of the progress that has been made. I really applaud collaborations 
like the KitKat project that are bringing those ideas and that technology to the fore. Um, but in the meantime, it is good to think about what our options are and to think about refusing single-use plastic as opposed to creating some refuse um, that causes problems in our environment. So thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Lindy. Thank you, Grant. Thank you, Lindy. Thank you, Ross. Ladies and gentlemen, that's been quite the discussion. Uh, very enlightening on compostables versus degradable, biodegradable, recycling, reuse, and the whole concept of Biogon. Uh, as a lazy uh, lazy consumer, I would just love to be able to put everything in one bag and move on. So <laughs> some amazing stuff there. Very impressive. Thanks very much for joining us for this episode that has been brought to you by Planet Protected Packaging. We'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative episode. But until then, have a great day. You've been listening to the PKN Podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.